grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas, a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and then find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we continue in a series that started on Easter Sunday called Awake with a message delivered on Mother's Day called Mom Was Right. The church family is given to us by God because no one ought to be alone beauty in doing life together with people who love Jesus and love each other well. So how do you do it well? Pastor Sean suggests the answer is not only the woman found in Proverbs 31, but it's the bride, the bride of Christ, which is his church. You can follow along with the notes and discussion questions for your own Bible study on the sermon page as seen at reallife.org. The series is called Awake. It's part two of the message, Mom Was Right. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio. The family thing is something that a whole lot of people has come under attack in the context of contemporary Christianity. There's a lot of people out there going, oh yeah, no, no, I want relationship with Jesus, I want God, I want all that, but I don't need the church thing. For the benefit of those of you who maybe are new or don't go here or, or get visiting with us, I'm not talking about the 501c3 nonprofit corporation. I'm not talking about the structure. I'm not talking about the database. I'm not talking about any of those things that assist us in our functions. I'm talking about the church. The ecclesia in the New Testament, the called out ones, the body of believers who God has planted you in and walk together, which Father says you desperately need and you shouldn't forsake the getting together with those believers. You need them. We need each other. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the church. And there's a whole lot of people who go, no, no, I don't need that. And you can find Christian writers, you can find Christian bloggers, you can find people all over the net, all over the world who say, oh, no, 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 you, you, you don't need that. You just need God. And let me just say they're dead wrong because they are contradicting the very God that they say you need. All you got to do is read the word and you'll discover, oh, this family thing, he's serious about it. When God chose to start his work with mankind, he begins with this guy named Abraham. When he's going to bring a redeemer, he starts with this guy named Abraham. And you remember what Abraham did. All God says, I'm going to make you a family. And remember, Abraham and his wife couldn't have kids. He's old by the time God started having this conversation. God, it's not going to happen. And God's like, no, no, trust me. And he has a son named Isaac. And then Isaac has a son named Jacob. Do you remember what Jacob's name was changed to? Israel. Became the nation that grew and, out of a family and the nation through which God brought Christ to redeem the world. This whole thing started as a family. It's been a family. That's been God's heart and his design all along. We need to get this kind of deep in our spirits and we need to take this really seriously. The resurrected life awakens you to the gift of a new family. A couple observations that Paul makes about the family. First thing, family belongs to one another. That's what's beautiful. We just saw a baby dedication. We just saw little Preston. And you know, um, he's in the Signs family now. Okay, Shelley's family are the Barnes, Chris family the Signs. You know, he's just part of the family, and everybody knows it. Okay, next service we're dedicating my newest grandbaby, little Olivia, Ryan and Rachel's daughter, and she is part of the family. And you know, she de- she can't speak, she can't talk, she eats, sleeps, and fills diapers. That's what she does, and she's very good at it. Gifted child, it's amazing <laughs> to watch her. She's so good. But I mean, you, you, you realize she doesn't know anything. She's like three and a half weeks old now. But she's figured out something, and that is I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> I really am. Everybody's ooing and aahing over me all the time. They all want to hold me. 
If any moment she's not being held, like, whoa, whoa, hello. <laughs> Baby in the room. Because the fact is she hasn't done anything for any of us. She's actually quite selfish. It's always about her, her needs, you know, my bottle, blah, blah. She hasn't done anything for any of us, but we love her and she's ours. She belongs. See, that's what family is. Family belongs to one another. You, you, don't, you don't earn your right into family. It's not like, well, you know, when you make your milestone, then you're going to be part of the family. But until then, your brother made it at seven and you're already six and a half, so you better hurry. It doesn't work like that. No, they're born, they're ours, they're family. And in the body of Christ, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you belong. You are brought into family. That's what baptism is. It is the formal entrance. Everybody in the first century would have understood this. We sometimes don't. We think of baptism as the confession of faith, which it is. It is a wonderful, it is the wonderful confession of faith. It's where before family and friends, you declare. That's why we, we practice and we teach what the scripture teaches, biblical believers' baptism. We don't baptize our infants because they don't, they don't get it. We baptize when the person is able to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. And baptism says we are buried with Christ like an old man. That's what you're saying when you're baptized. That old person that I was but apart from Christ is buried with him. And a new person, a new man, a new woman is alive in Christ who stands before you. So it is a powerful public confession of faith. But it is also the idea of baptism. You are baptized into something. We are baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. That's what we're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are baptized into a name. Well, that's into a family. Little Olivia has our family name. And baptism is an entrance into the family. So when Jesus said, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, he was saying, bring them into the family. And what that means is we are one. It means we're not separate in the world we're so used to adversarial relationships we're so used to everything being a negotiation in family i know there can be negotiations and stuff but the bottom line is we're all on the same side you know and there's always a negotiating table whenever we're having these negotiations and in family we should like pull the table away and yeah there's you know there, there's going to be things we're going to have conversations we're going to have disagreements all that stuff but the bottom line is in family when it's done the way god designed it to be done it should be i want you to win because we're family and that's the kind of relationship we've been called into. We are one. We belong. Now, there's some obstacles to belonging that we all struggle with. We have been raised with an independent spirit. We've been raised to think that we should be, you know, independent. And that's what real winners are. They don't need anybody else. I mean, I grew up, you know, Westerns. I mean, I think Clint Eastwood, the spaghetti Westerns. Oh, they were so good. Such high quality drama. You know, and I just think of Clint, you know, just kind of taking care of business and then riding off into the sunset and, it was awesome. I get chills as I think about it. Because when I saw him going off alone, I'm like, someday I'm going to be just like him. I don't think of him the next day just sitting there alone going, okay, what do I do now? I'm alone. But we have this independent spirit that says, I do it on my own. I got to do it for me. I got to take care of number one. I'm independent. I love what Stephen Covey did in Seven Habits. He talked about maturity and moving from dependence, which as a child, it's, it's good and normal to be dependent. But as you grow up, you, there's a p- point where you have to become independent, i.e. I can take care of myself. I can do my own work. I can pay my own bills. I can be independent. But then he says there's another step of maturity. If you stop at independence, you'll never be fully mature. The next step is interdependence, which is, I think, what we're talking about here. In other words, we need other people. 
Not to take care of us like a little child needs other people. No, I can take care of myself. I can provide for myself. But to be in my life, be in relationship. And in some ways, we do, as we're going to talk about in a minute, take care of one another. But moving beyond from dependence to independence to interdependence. I think it's a good word picture. Independent spirit can be an obstacle to belonging. Different priorities, conflicting priorities. It's like we say, well, I want to be part of the family. I want to be committed, but I've got all these other things. I've got to work, and I've got these extra projects at work because I've got to get ahead, and I've got to make more money. And all these different priorities are, uh, uh, we've got all the weekend stuff. We pack our weekends with things. So I don't have time for Christian community. I don't have time for this family. And it's so easy to have different priorities where you push the family out of the way. And we do this with our physical family, our natural family. And we do this with our spiritual family. What what we do is we say, mom and dad, we say, well, I've got to take that extra assignment because it'll really look good. Or my boss, if I don't, then then they'll pass me for that next promotion. So I got to do it. I got to do it. I got to do it. The family will understand. The kids will understand. That is a grave mistake. The people who are going to be with you all the way to the end, don't put them on the back burner. Don't do it. It's not like there's never times when we have to say, okay, I hope you guys can understand. But when you're, tell- when you're all the time, it's them who's going to understand and not work, not other relationships, not other activities. Um, you have, it's a problem. And in the same way, if it's always the Christian community that gets pushed to the back burner, well, they'll understand. Because I got the work thing. and I, I got the project here. And I'm, you know, kids are in the sports league. You know how it is. And if it's all, well, we'll get around to the Christian community. Different priorities. And it's an obstacle to really understanding the power and the beauty of the family. Tendency towards isolation. Some of us just look for isolation. Maybe because of hurts, wounds. We go, I've been hurt, but I'm not going to do it again. And one final obstacle is broken family experiences. And this is just, I just want to acknowledge that. When I start talking about, hey, you've got another family. Some of you are like, oh, great. That's the last thing I needed. I already have one. And it's a train wreck. Broken family experiences can be a true hindrance because we think of family and it's like, no, I don't, I don't need any more of that. If, if you have had broken, hurtful family experiences, one, I am so sorry you went through that because that was not God's design. We live in a sinful, broken, fallen world and people do sinful and stupid things. In my own family experience, my mom was a very committed believer. My dad was not. And we lived a lot of my dad's family. There were some wonderful folks in my dad's family. Some really great, great people. But we went through some seasons of some pretty unhealthy responses. You know, it's a large Sicilian family in Chicago. And man, when someone ticked you off, someone did something, what you did was cut them off. And I have to tell you, my natural thing, the thing that comes up, if someone crosses me or, and I try, and I can, I'm, I'm a grace-filled person and I try, but there comes a point where my thing is, okay, well, we'll just cut off relationship. And I have to fight that all the time. I have to say that is wrong just because it's my inclination. That's the inclination of bad training and of the sin nature. That's all that is. Unhealthy models and the sin nature. And yours, I don't know what yours is. You know, you do. You could sit and tell me. You could say, yep, this is what was modeled for me and that I naturally kind of lean to. Those broken systems, those broken models keep us. Let me just say, that is not how God designed it. God wants to give us a new model. And let me say, if we learn it here in the Christian community, which is what we're supposed to learn, it will radically transform our natural families because we'll figure out, oh, if I shouldn't do that here in the Christian family, maybe I shouldn't do it in the natural family God planted me in. If God wants me to behave and respond and wants me to enjoy a certain type of relationship in my Christian community, maybe my familial community should be something similar. 
The resurrected life awakens you to the gift of a new family. We have this family in Christ. Don't let bad habits, bad models keep us from the family we were created for. It is a true gift. And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church, in this message called Mom Was Right, which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. Just look for the series called Awake. Where there, you can even watch a video podcast of this message and series. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And Pastor Sean Azaro, now an author, invites you to check out his brand new book. 302 Books, a division of Salem Media Group, presents A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life, Rediscovering the Gift of the Spirit, authored by Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Growing up in and around Pentecostal churches, I really learned to appreciate the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer. But I also saw what I considered to be imbalance and excess in some of our churches when it came to how we taught about the infilling. Now available at Amazon.com, Sean Azaro shares his most requested teaching and radio broadcast Podcast series in a devotional form, encouraging you to embrace the Spirit-filled life. I wrote in a devotional style to encourage readers to examine the Scripture with fresh eyes and make room for the Lord to speak about the role of the Spirit in our lives. The goal of the whole book is to simply make you hungry for more of the Spirit. Order your copy of A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life by Sean Azaro today at Amazon or reachingforreallife.org. And now the conclusion to the message, Mom Was Right... This is Reaching for Real Life Radio. Family forgives and restores those who have failed. Family forgives and restores those who have failed. This is a tough one for a lot of people. We carry around a lot of hurts and bitterness, and maybe it's our natural family, but we carry that kind of thing into the Christian community. And the beauty with the Christian community is if someone hurts you, you can just pack up and say, I'm going to another church. And there's people who've made their whole Christian life of going and looking for that perfect church. And they never find it because they're all full of people just like you and just like me. Family forgives and restores those who fail. Remember what he said? If someone's caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Colossians 3, 13 and 14 says, Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Forgive. Paul said if someone's caught in sin, or say it another way, someone who's failed, uh, you restore them. Who's, who is it who's been caught in sin? Well, maybe we flip that, flip that around. <laughs> who hasn't? Who hasn't? If you're here and you think, no, nope, I've really never sinned. I'm pretty good on that. I'm just like, wow. I want to talk to you afterwards. I want to get a picture first. Because that's tweet worthy. Okay, I'm just going to say no, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm saying there's a, there's a certain point where we got to stop and recognize. That's one of the beautiful things. That's why we are the, we should be the forgiving community. Because we identify. When someone blows it, okay, I might get mad. It might really inconvenience me. I might be ticked off. But the fact is, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I should be the first person. Because our whole faith is based on the idea, I am a sinner who has blown it. And God forgave me. God sent Jesus to pay the penalty for my sin. And that should cause us to identify. We should be the most grace-filled and forgiving communities in the world. Because we of all people know, 
oh man, I've, I've had to be forgiven. I needed forgiveness. I needed grace. And that should change us. Now, what is forgiveness? When you actually stop and think about it, because sometimes we talk about unforgiveness, we talk about forgiveness. I think what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer when he was modeling prayer for us, look what he said in Matthew 6, 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That kind of that defines forgiveness for us, doesn't it? See, an offense that someone has against us, it creates a debt. Forgiveness is releasing them from that debt. That's what forgiveness is. It's saying, I am not going to hold on to that offense, and I am not going to hold that as a debt that I am owed. Because whenever there's an offense and we get this unforgiveness towards someone, what's happened is there's a debt. They should have treated me this way. They owed me this kind of treatment, and they didn't do it. They did this instead. So there's a debt. Forgiveness is when we release them from the debt and say, you know what, they're just a sinner like me, and Jesus released me from my debt. So I'm going to release them. It doesn't, it's not about denial. Oh, it wasn't so bad anyway. It's not at all. What they did was wrong. It was hurtful. It shouldn't have happened. But Lord, I'm going to put that in your hands. I'm going to let you deal with that. I'm going to let you deal with them. Remember what the word says? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. I'm not going to worry about revenge. I'm not going to worry about any of that. I'm going to wipe that debt clean. They don't owe me a debt. And what happens is we're the ones who are freed. We understand that, right? We're the ones who are set free when we wipe out the debt. But forgiveness is only part of it. Because he said, brothers, sisters, if someone's caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So I've forgiven them. The debt is clean. What does it mean to restore? That means I have to be open to whatever degree God allows me. I have to work to whatever degree I have influence in to bring that back to restoration, whether it's a relationship in the church. Often, you know, we talk, we see about leaders who fail. And we take that very seriously. That's a big deal. And we should take it seriously. But the scripture says, you who are spiritual, restore that person gently. And it says, "And, and be careful, be mindful of yourself, lest you also stumble. So there's this idea of restoration. And I know that's hard because here's the deal. When I forgive someone, there's a difference between forgiving them and restoring them. Or let me say it a different way. There's a difference between forgiving them and trusting them again. Right? And I think there's some people who, you know, you forgive them, you erase the debt, and they, every time you connect with them, they keep doing the same thing. And they want, you've talked to them, you've tried, and they just keep doing the same thing. I think there's a certain point where you go, okay, I'm going to have some boundaries and I'm not going to let that continue to happen. Okay? And I think that's okay. But to whatever degree that person comes and they want to be restored, if it's in relationship, and we're talking about the body of Christ, we're talking about family, we're talking about how we respond in this family. To whatever degree they want to be restored, we should be ones who say, okay, I'm going to work and help you be restored. Help you be restored in your relationships, including your relationship with me. Help you be restored in your ministry position. And bring you back to that place of health and wholeness, to the place you were before the offense, the stumble, the sin. That's what family does. We restore one another. And we in the church have got to get this right. Family, third, shares each other's burdens. Family shares each other's burden. That's because that's what. Paul said in verse 2, carry each other's burdens 
And this way you fulfill the law of Christ. What law is that? What law is that? The law to love each other as he loved us. We have a picture of Jesus carrying our cross. What's, what makes it a little bit confusing for us is down a little bit later, he kind of tur- takes a turn in the conversation. He says, for each one should carry their own load. Carrying each other's burdens doesn't mean, you know, doing all their work for them or not expecting anything of people. <clears throat> I think carrying each other's burden, I think we need to think extra weight that people sometimes have to carry. Think of family issues that come up. We should be there to carry one another's burdens. Think of financial troubles, health problems, unemployment all the different things in life that we go through, in the body of Christ, we should be there to help carry each other's burdens. Here's the idea. To carry each other's burden, it means we walk through it together. You're never alone. There's a community around you to help, to help bring life. We carry each other's burden. That's one of the things that I think the world around us finds most attractive if we do this right. And we better understand how we treat each other will make all the difference in how effective we are and sharing the good news of Christ with those around us. We share one another's burdens. That's why it's so important that you be in a community group. I I love our community group. I mean, really, it's not, you you have to understand, you're like, well, how does that really work? River City's kind of a large church, so, you know, how do we carry each other's burdens? Well, we don't do it necessarily in the large. There are some things where maybe we'll get on board and try to help someone but it's largely in community groups where it's just a small group of brothers and sisters doing life together. And someone's going through something and then there's people praying, there's people helping, there's people coming alongside, extending, sharing their network, their relationships to help walk through that problem. Sharing resources if need be. Just helping walk someone through that burden. It's powerful. See, the resurrected life awakens you to a gift of a new family. And last thing, I'll wrap with this. Family takes care of each other. And family takes care of each other. And you're like, well, you kind of said that a bunch of different ways. Yeah, but I want to be sure and say it. Because Paul concluded with verse 10 saying, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Listen, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Especially to those. Do good to all people. But especially those who are part of the family of believer. That, that means there's priority in family over others. We get that backwards, I think. I think we think sometimes, no, no, we got to really put on our best behavior and really be good and kind to the poor in the world around us, which is absolutely true, by the way. We need to be loving, kind, and caring to people who are in need, people who aren't here yet. That's what we should do. But let me tell you, what good does it do if you're real kind to people out there and then they come into the church and find, oh my gosh, these people hate each other? It was all a show, it was all a facade. No, honestly, if we will love one another and then just kind of live our lives out, our work, our neighborhoods, our sports teams, all different things we do, we love one another and just live Jesus, you'd be amazing at how attractive that is as we care for each other, how attractive that is to the people in our circles who know we're Christians. And all they ever read in the news about this Christian going crazy and doing something stupid or this crazy one saying this or this one. Because remember, it's bad news that sells, folks. Good news doesn't sell. All you're going to hear, you're going to read about the Christian who did this, Christian who did that, Christian who did that. You're you're not going to read about the thousands of Christians who worked at homeless shelters last weekend or who volunteered at hospitals or who served the poor or who helped their neighbors or who... You're not going to read about that. Because that's like, oh, Really? And then when you think about it, it's kind of like what we do. So it's not, it shouldn't be news. It'd be nice if there wasn't so much as negative so that people outside the church didn't just have this, I think, distorted view. 
But understand something. It's not going to matter what they read on CNN if they know you, and they know you're a Christian, and they kind of rub shoulders with you and your friends and your community, and they go, wow, those people love each other. That's nothing like what that story said. I don't know about what that writer in the Washington Post was talking about, but these people are real. They're, they care for each other. I like these people. I want to be a part of a group that cares for me like that. It's one of people's greatest perceived needs is for community. When we love each other, when we care for each other, when we take this family seriously, it makes all the difference in the world. So my question for you as I conclude is, how are you doing in family? How's it going? Because if, if your whole idea of church family is attending a service, you're missing it. You are missing the best stuff. Attending a service is great for a couple things, for teaching the word, that's a good thing, and for corporate worship, for vision, things like that. That's great. But all the one another stuff, the care for one another, all that stuff, it doesn't happen so great in rows and in a big gathering like this. This is not the extent of what the church is or does. If this is the extent of your church involvement, I want to say to you, get on in. Come on. The water's fine. God designed us for family, and he gave us this family called the church. Don't miss it. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message called Mom Was Right, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd appreciate your feedback. You can leave us a note on our Contact Us page. Or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262, as Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life.